friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my Hollywood big timer backlotting, uh, extra rewriting, all true, fax machine having, all true, victim and co-host, Alex Dandino, definitely victim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, you know what's up. Every October, we look into the deep, dark abyss that is the horror genre that we love so much, and we're giving you a movie every day this month. So now, today, we're on our we're right now in the midst of the Scream series. So today, Scream 3, tomorrow, Scream 4. Uh, very excited to be redoing this with you guys. We love Scream, uh, and many more to come every day this month, as I said before. Uh, again, guys, please take a second and leave us a rating and review wherever you find the podcast, especially Apple Podcasts. That helps us out enormously, and we appreciate those of you who have been doing that. It, it's helping out. Thank you very appreciate much. Appreciate that. Uh, find us on your socials or email the show at filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. You can let us know movies you'd like to hear us cover, themes for a month, double feature, new stuff, guest host, whatever you want. Uh, tell us. Again, every December, we stuff your stocking. So you can have another fan selection choice there. Um, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel and see our beautiful faces. Nerd Alchemist, plural with an S at the end. All right, enough of that business. Uh, Alex, Scream 3, or as I call it, Scream 3, colon, the wheels are coming off. <laughs> Question mark? Uh, yeah, Scream yeah. Scream 3 is really it, fascinating. Scream, let me Let me elaborate a second on that before people get mad who love scream three i think scream three has some elements that are really fun i think the most glaringly obvious thing that happens in scream three is it feels like it loses the thread of what the scream movies were doing this yes. does not which is weird because it's set in a hollywood telling their story and capitalized it feels like a a it's not an interesting dissection or a new angle yeah. to look at it per se. This feels like, you know what I mean? Well, it, what it feels like is a repeat of, it feels like a repeat of scream two, but like a weird, like facsimile, like, like, you know, like it's an, it's like a transmorphers, like transformers came out in theater. <laughs> so like we're watching scream three and this is like scram three, you know, it's, yeah, it's it's weird because this movie, so the things I like are really interesting additions to the mythology. Yes, and it's a really great addition to the Sydney storyline. Mm -hmm. Right. The problem is, is the rest of it just feels very hollow. Like for me, when when we do the the movie right and we see the people cast in the film, this is the first time where because all of the movies, right, Billy and Stu, uh, Timothy Oliphant and uh, O'Connell in Part Two, they're all playing a character archetype right right but as you elaborated they never feel as two-dimensional as they're supposed to be right this is the first time where the characters feel wildly flat to me well and i think that uh, again this is a fascinating well <laughs> it's a little inside baseball but we like to get to talking about scream 3 we have to talk about the events surrounding the filming of scream 3 <laughs> Because Scream 3 came out in 2000, which means it was probably filmed in 99. Uh, for those of you who weren't in or, or middle school at that time, or you're not, some of you might not have been alive in 2000, uh, 
1999 was the year of the Columbine High School Massacre. Uh, it was a horrible thing. I remember when it happened. I remember where I was. I remember all that shit. Uh, for people our age, that was a pretty... It was a pretty much a benchmark moment in your childhood. Because honestly, yeah, like... Because we were in school, right? Yeah. I don't know how it affected older generations, but... I mean, I know it captivated the nation, but being a kid in school... I remember the first time going to school the next day and being like, oh, fuck, like bad things can happen here. I mean, it was and I remember I was also one of those kid where my mom and dad started coming into my room. Finally, I was like, what's happening? What's that? And they're like, do you have Doom or the Marilyn Manson CD? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we're worried about you. We need it. And I was like, hey, man, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so here's so here's a, this is kind of just a little bit of like history lesson. So Columbine <laughs> happened. Horrible thing. Uh, the immediate reaction of the media was not to blame, you know, easily accessible guns on the internet or anything like that. What the immediate reaction of the media and the country at large was is to blame pop culture, which was yes, violent video games like Doom, like first person shooters that we were all playing at the time. Um, I remember it was Doom and Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson like was a targets. huge scapegoat because Marilyn Manson was a scary looking guy who played death metal and that was his thing. And then the last that they came for were the movies. And the movies were, you know, shoot 'em ups, horror movies, particularly, of course, Scream, which is a movie about the glorification of violence by a bunch of psychopaths in a way. So obviously, people are a little more hesitant to uh, produce movies about people yeah. who watch movies and then murder people. It's wild because the first two, the, the parallel to those events is pretty i mean pretty pretty spot on i would say i would say scream 2 is it's pretty like scream i mean scream 1 is the exact story right it's just two high school guys terrorizing yeah i mean it i i understand why that sure again i don't think you need to censor and i don't think it was the movies obviously but so but But you can understand the studio getting a little bit of studio so kevin williamson the writer of all the scream moves except for scream 3 Kevin Williamson turned in the script for Scream 3 for Scream 3. The original script was about them going back to Woodsboro where it all began. Mm-hmm. The studio this was I think they were about to go in production pretty soon after Columbine. Studio was not comfortable making a movie about people in a small town murdering other people again. So um so Aaron Kruger was hired. Aaron Kruger's a guy, I think the thing I remember most for is I think he wrote the third Transformers movie, but he had just finished writing. He wrote Arlington Road before this movie. Right. Arlington Road is, I love that movie, by the way. But What a weird uh, gear shift. Yeah, so Aaron <laughs> Kruger was brought in to rewrite the script that Kevin Williamson wrote, which basically the studio mandated that it not take place in Woodsboro, that it actually take place in Hollywood because people are making movies about this now. So you can kind of make that meta narrative work in Hollywood. Aaron Kruger apparently rewrote the script and there are, he freely admits that Wes Craven had to rewrite a lot of bits simply because Aaron Kruger was not prepared to write these characters the way Kevin Williamson sort of had them in his head. So to me, and we were talking about this before the show to me, what happens in like the issue with scream three is not necessarily that it doesn't understand the kind of movie it's making. Cause it knows what it's doing. The blueprint is there. It's not complicated to understand the reason characters I think feel hollow in this movie. And the reason that I think there's something missing is because the accent is off. 
These characters are being written in a way that is not necessarily true to form. And while we talked about in Scream 2 that Nev Campbell, like Sydney Prescott learns from her experiences every movie, she's still not quite the Sydney Prescott we know. She's somewhat subdued. She's a little different. And actually, I was also reading that apparently Nev Campbell contractually was only supposed to be doing 20 days on this movie. She's the fucking star of the movie. And she has the least amount of screen time of all the main characters, by the way. So it's weird because this movie does so much good stuff for Sid. But like I mentioned to you, right? Because your take on this is you're like, this is a Scooby-Doo cartoon at the end. Yes. And it is weird. I'm like, we just went to this house and Sid is not an integral part of what's happening. What feels like right as the movie's hitting its climax and we're starting to unravel things. They just break into this Scooby-Doo adventure. (laughs) And this is the thing. I think... This, this again, was the prophecy of Mickey, right? Mm-hmm. Putting the movies on trial. Great, great concept. Absolutely. I just don't feel that they used Hollywood in a way in this film no. to really get at this core. I mean, you could argue at the end, right? I think the end is... I think it's a bit of a stupid reveal, <laughs> right? That it's her long-lost brother that we don't really know a lot about who showed up killed his mom as she's having all these it just it i don't like what it does retroactively to the billy storyline right i think billy killing her mom because he has serious motives is way also why would he just lie about that i mean i guess he's a psycho but i don't like some of that unraveling yeah it's not what i do love the idea of the final villain that sydney's been working her way up to is the horror movie director Great. I think is a really cool that meta kind of meta really meta uh, objective. It's right? cute. It's fun. Her fight. It's great. Because yeah. him coming back and saying, I was this mastermind who's orchestrated. He has that line where, you know, I, I made my movie and his movie essentially is her traumatic life. Absolutely. That works very well yes. for me. Right. But I feel like the rest of the. Like, even on the sets and this and that, like, we get a nice Jay and Silent Bob cameo. We get little famous people popping yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, and that's, but, it's the, that's the, I mean, to me, the Jay and Silent Bob cameo is fun because I love Jay and Silent Bob, but I also am looking at him like, okay, we're a little, we're getting a little. And Wes Craven was in uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike. Yeah, and Wes Craven's <laughs> also in this movie. He's the guy who's, apparently he's behind them. I never noticed this before. He's behind yeah. uh, Jay and Silent Bob when they're on the studio tour. But again, like it's one of those things where I look at it and I'm like, okay, I feel like we're not fully understanding or grasping. Like now we're not making a slasher movie that happens to be a critique on slasher movies. Now yeah. we're making a critique on slasher movies parody with a Scooby Doo ending. Like it's yeah, and it's it's not lampooning how Hollywood uses it. Either. No. Like, because this, the only character of the new characters who really somewhat gets anything interesting to do is, um, God, what's her name? Piper Paraboo? Is that the name? Oh, yeah. No, no, that's not Piper. It's Parker Posey. Parker Posey. I knew it was one of those fucking Stan Lee names, <laughs> right? So Parker Posey yeah. actually has a really fun character. Fantastic. But again, if, if you're telling, what does she, what does she learn or what is the arc? It's not there, but it's a fun role that. No, she starts good. off combative with Gail, and then she fully is kind of embracing this. Now I am Gail. I'm in. <laughs> like that was a fun ride. Mm-hmm. But of the other character, the actors from the movie, 
none of them matter or have anything interesting to say, right? You get the 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 young guy who's playing, you know, he has that moment like, do you think young black actors can turn down roles, right? And he's like, I'm going to die. He felt like a less interesting version of the cameraman in part two who does probably my favorite thing in a Scream movie when he's like, uh, hey, man, fuck you guys. Yeah. Like, I'm leaving. I'm just going to take Wouldn't my camera and leave. <laughs> yeah, and then once he knows it's fine and you can cash in again, he comes back. Yeah. We totally forgot in Scream 2, what's his name, Jeremy? I can't remember the cameraman's name in Scream 2. I don't remember. But I was like, that's how you do it. You say, I'll see you. There's horror movie shit going on. I'm out, and then I'll be back. <laughs> Great. But I was like, I mean, even Jenny McCarthy, right, uh, adds nothing to the movie. Yeah. It's, I mean, she has that bit where, like, she's she, she I guess she's supposed to be our avatar of, oh, it sucks that, like, people only want me for my body, which I guess you could have done something with. Obviously, she went on in real life to become one of the scariest whore villains in yeah, our entire universe truthfully. by making uh, moms afraid of vaccines. Yes, right? so terrifying. There was room to there was room to do some like even Patrick Warburton has a great little cameo because he just does great with what he is but like he doesn't you know what i mean like Patrick none of them Warburton, really do anything yeah. parker poses is the only one who's given like a runway really the rest of them are all sort of supposed to be one note because it like emily mortimer is a great example of a character who lasts the entire movie like Dion richmond too of course uh is great as well even though he ends up dying i don't know why he's in the rest of the movie i think it's weird but uh emily mortimer is an excellent example of a character who should have been given the runway to go because she's supposed to be the Sydney of the stab movies. So the fact yes. that she's not, the fact that she well, also that she's a fantastic actress. Yes, yeah, she is a, like in but her own. I night, would argue this is a not great performance. She's her, very right? not great in this movie, but it's fascinating but that she I mean, would. But again, this is one of those this. maybe, maybe that she's such a good actress. She was playing a not great actress. Right. Because what we see in this movie is that, again, it's just this re-solidification of the magic of Nev Campbell as Sid. Right. Like when you see the scenes with Sid versus new Sid, you're like, not even close. Yeah. Not even close. And again, and immediately my first thought was, had they tried to go into Scream 4 with Emily Mortimer? No, wouldn't work. And she's great. She's a fucking no, she's phenomenal a wonderful actress, actress that I love. But you're like, it's just not. I think it's just not the thing. So maybe in a way that part yeah. starts to work. I think Scream 3, yeah, that that aspect works of it. To me, Scream 3 is a great it's a great narrative of like Hollywood who done it and that part is very fun. Again, like it we start off with another great opening by the way, The Murder of Cotton Weary, which is like near and dear to my heart, oh. one of the saddest things ever I've seen in a movie. Like you're like, "Oh, I, this poor guy." <laughs> He finally well, got he, he, he finally got to become Bill shit. Maher and he got murdered for it. Hundred <laughs> percent cotton with cotton weird. Well, he's mad because he doesn't title. want to be in stab. He's like, I love the line. He's like, What did we hear back from that Navy SEAL screen? <laughs> Which I fucking love. But I was like, he's still a piece of shit, right? Yeah. He he lives with this girlfriend, but he's still like, hey, someone randomly dialed me wrong but they say my voice is hot i'm gonna like jerk off on the 101 but i was like that's cotton that's cotton making deals for himself this is another and then the the potential massive amounts of vehicular manslaughter that we just brushed by so he can get home this brings me to one of my 
Again, I think this is a movie of swings and misses, mm-hmm. right? Where like we could have just done a little bit better. And again, I'm not I'm not trying to just do this whole movie just taking shots at Scream Three. Sure. There are some good elements. The element that was probably the best tool they did not do anything with was the fucking voices. Yeah. So whoever was the killer, Ghostface Killer, right? Who ends up becoming uh her long lost brother, the director, right? He somehow has this talk boy that looks like the thing I used to use as a bouncer to count how many people yeah. come into the club, right? And it has somehow enough information and algorithms to just do Dewey's voice, Maureen Prescott's voice, Cotton's voice. Like, everyone's voice is just on there. That's awesome. Which makes it's not a lick of sense. Pure not, nonsense. It's- in no universe is that okay. But I was saying... This movie takes place in Hollywood. Yes. Let Daryl Daryl Hammond be the killer, you know, and he just is actually like an awesome impersonator on the line. That's so much better. The yeah, I mean, this is like, what I thought they were setting up for a minute is that new Sydney, who had to climb over fifty thousand girls to be new Sydney, sleep with Lance Hendrickson, slept with Lance Hendrickson, right? This old uh, kind of raper executive from hollywood right so i was like oh they're gonna set up that she actually has all the and she's like crank calling everyone and doing voice impressions that would have been such a good scene at the end when she starts talking to them in their own voice yeah (laughs) but i was like the fact that they didn't pay that off it's weird that there's not is infuriating i think this is this this is like the weird misstep of the scream of scream three two is that there's not two of them they're only being one is difficult and I think that's the see. I don't know if I accept. Okay, because I see what you're going here with this, right? Because I think Emily Mortimer would have been a really director, good second fiddle. Right. So he is trying to rewrite his own movie and rewrite his, his actual life narrative with the sister that of he course, didn't get. Ahead. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. No. I mean, I understand that. That seems cool. And if you had gotten the her breaking into voices moment with that, extra cool. Yeah. Right, because when they dragged her off, I did have a. I didn't see who was dragging her. That's, that's not real. Like I thought, Emily Mortimer would be a, a perfect suspect. Right. Totally. And it's it's a weird thing. And I, I know Scream is a movie of throwing red herrings out. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's just this is the one movie where you look at it and you're like, the, I mean, most of their motives are pretty suspect at best. Mm-hmm. But like you just watch the movie, you're like, there's not really a breadcrumb trail to lead us to this moment. I mean, I guess you could say he's the one who actually calls Jenny McCarthy, so they're boom evidence. But you're like, so what he gets out of this is to not get to make the movie, and okay, all right. And again, they talk about that's the other weird thing is this movie does not follow the rules that Ghost Randy lays down for us. You know about this is the rare trilogy, right? Yeah. Like. Main characters can die. None of them do, right? Like some some original sin is going to come back. They kind of do that, but not in a great not, way. Like okay, let, it's let's not talk any, about something. Well, we the liked, original right? sin that came back wasn't anyone else's fault. Like I think that's the problem with the original sin notion is that the original sin is Maureen Prescott. Like Sydney didn't do anything. That is like a huge, huge like to me. Like that is an issue. But well, no, no, it doesn't distract. Her slight is that she got to live supposedly an idyllic life. Not great. Right? 
I mean, it seems pretty good. She had a nice house. and Everything was cool until her boyfriend's. I mean, I guess when her mom got brutally murdered, that's not great. Yeah, but her mom was plowing that's like people the, nonstop. That's the beginning bro. of a slope. But what I'm saying, what I think is weird is I love that this movie breaks into the Maureen Prescott, right? Yes. So the scene when she's at her house and Sydney, uh, you know, falls asleep. So we get this good. amazing kind of gothic moment of ghost Maureen walking through and her bloody fingers on the window. You know, uh, everyone you touch will die. You're poisoned just like me. And then it turns into Ghostface, and Sydney's startled awake. I was like, yes, bitch, give me this. Yeah. And then we start this this motif throughout the movie of Sydney, who's been our very in control. We talked about this in the part two pod. She's not this helpless victim who's completely she had trauma and she's processing it and being smart and she's together and moving forward. Right. This is the moment where this overwhelming sense of loss and the mother and all of it's kind of coming home for her. And the movie does a fantastic job with that part. Even in the moment where she just got attacked by Ghostface, she cuts into the room that is recreating her mom's murder scene. Because this is the weird one where she starts hearing voices. And I was like, if this is like, how did he have Billy and Stu on the talk boy doing this? She's throwing it around like Sharon Stone. Yeah. You know, she starts hearing those voices and sees one of the cooler things they do in the movie is, the uh the coroner sheet stands up right and it, it's like a alternate universe ghost face very right? cool where her mom is underneath and this is the first time where sydney is not grounded in fighting back like she cries and is emotional throughout as anyone would be this is where her actual stake on what's happening is starting to slide yeah which in the context of her being in a hollywood production set of her life and trauma could have been really strong stuff it just feels sloppy yeah well i mean for her to not be more traumatized in general by the set for her to just hear voices and then be totally okay to walk into like a replica of her old bedroom seems weird to me like that does not ring true to what's happening within the character within the character's mind anyways i i do i do love though where we find sydney at the beginning of this movie like she is that, no. that was the point I was going to go with the house, right? Because we see Sydney is taking so much of everyone else's yeah. grief on herself, right? The her being a grief counselor is such an awesome place to it's start fantastic. with you. And then she comes back, sees this girl trying to be her and hopeful, then gets attacked by Ghostface, and this is what sparks the continuation of the, the, the mom fantasies, right? Mm-hmm. I... It makes sense to me. That part didn't bother me. Go. What did you like most about Sydney, the grief counselor, the opening where we find her? I mean, I like just the honestly, I like the fortification. Like, it's a great to me. Like, so we capture her first where she's walking her dog. She comes in. She throws like a bolt lock in. And then she has a little uh, gate key. She has a gate code. So she locks her gate. And then she uh, goes further up the road into her actual house where she has like three locks and like a perimeter like a perimeter perimeter alarm and all that stuff like to me the thing that i love the most about us meeting sydney in this new state she's in is it's the fortification of everything that's happened to her for the last two movies we're we're doing exactly yeah. what we did in scream 2 we're doing it again in scream 3 where sydney is not only learned now that she's not going to be able to live a normal life but she's also learned that 
there's just no way to keep everyone safe. So like you were saying, she's taking everybody's grief and deciding that she is the physical embodiment of this grief. Like that's the thing I love the most about those visions she has, especially that first one, which is just like fucking straight. Yeah, that first one is that just first one's just gorgeous. straight out of a fucking like great like a great like seventies slumber party movie. I swear to God. But like <laughs> that first shot, that first scene where she has that that is not Sydney's mother talking to her. That is Sydney talking to herself. That's like it's a good it's her manifestation. It's her of manifestation. Her mom, yeah. I mean, it's her manifestation of her mother, but she might as well just be saying it herself like she's poisoned. It's the reason she's in the woods and so on and so forth. It's only until she's drawn out by the killer who finds her. She has, it's not even a drawn out. She decides I'm not, she decides she's not going to be a victim stuck in the woods anymore. Like she's going to face this head on, which is a nice thing. Again, it happens a little late in the game, which is the Sydney way. That's the Sydney way. What I like about the opening too is, I think it's really cool that the moment she she does everything she can. This is off the grid, Sid, right? This is kind of where we find Laurie Strode in uh, the new Halloween. Yeah. but So she's off the grid. You know, she's good. She's set. She's escaped. Instead of just trying to live a life of comfort and forgetting about it, seeing Sydney have the power to say, I will still work this hotline. And take people, you know, some girl calls, like, I'm 18, I have a boyfriend, he beats me up. And you see Sid, you know, like, you don't have to give a name, just say what you want, you know. Her being there for these other women who are going through it, right? The the ultimate power, or final girl that we know, right? Out there helping other people and women who are going through these experiences. It just, it's one of those scenes that says so much about Sid. Mm-hmm. Instead of just this life of comfort, walking her dog and, you know, having coffees on the idyllic porch, that she's going to go in there and have people say that. And it is going to keep, and in a way, maybe that is what triggers these psychic phenomena, right? Is this constant just deluge of trauma. How can she ever fucking put her trauma to bed, right? She has this massive amount of strength, but she's pushing it to its absolute fucking breaking point. Right. And I think that's a really, I mean, that that part of the movie to me is so, if you take that as your base, and now she's seeing Ghost, and is then called to the Hollywood version and watching this hollow, vapid recreation for profit of her, right? right? Like, there there is a version of this movie that is really streamlined like Scream 1 and 2. Yeah. That I it mean, felt like they just missed the, the beats. Right. I mean, I think that the version of Scream, for the version of this movie that works in the way you're speaking of, probably is Kevin Williamson's original script. I think changing the setting to Hollywood could work in the way I, I truly believe like it could work in the way we were talking about it, where if Roman and Emily Mortimer's character end up being the two, that would make sense right. to me. Like that would make sense. That would be a great like proliferation of the uh, final girl myth. And that's a great meta commentary on what it is we look for in horror movies as far as genre tropes and so on and so forth. But the fact that it ends up just being a guy who's, again, like the director notion is very good. And I do like your assertion of Sidney Prescott confronting her tormentor being the director of the movie is a great, it's a good beat. Yeah, right. 
I mean, that is a really good... I like that beat a lot. That is a really nice observation and is really fascinating given that it is the end of a trilogy, so to speak, even though we know there's a fourth one. Because it's the end of a trilogy... And a soon-to-be fifth. (laughs) Because it's the end of a trilogy, the important thing is simply that it is the character confronting the true tormentor, which is the person who's pushing this movie forward, pushing this movie on. So I... Right. Yeah, there is a tighter version of this movie, but I think what we get is, well, yeah, more loosely structured, and you have these characters that are very out of place. Like, they even address it early on, where uh, Dewey, between Dewey and Gale, who have, as we find out, like, they tried having a relationship when they were in Woodsboro, and Gale got tired of Woodsboro, so she left. And I think it's interesting that we're talking about this sort of, like, where these characters seem out of place, they seem hollow, well, Dewey himself is literally giving up being a cop, being any of these things that he always assumed he was simply to be a consultant on a movie. It's a fascinating, it's a fascinating. But because he's chasing Gale, the scent of Gale. He's chasing Gale, yes. But like, We forgot, actually, we talked shit about Gale in episode two, or Scream 2. We forgot to mention at the end, when the cameraman comes back, she does forsake him to get the, the moment immediately the scoop to go in the van with dewey true she does so i i'll tell you this i i'm a big fan of the dewey and gale of this movie i i like that that that's kind of the only non-sydney stuff in the movie that i was really interested in i just like those by this point in the third movie you're like why are these two still alive yeah but if they're gonna be alive like i like the romance i mean i think (laughs) if they're gonna be alive they should i mean again they are heavily featured in this movie this is a very yeah. Sydney Prescott light story. And I think it's kind of fascinating yes. that it unfolds that way because for the third one and for the trilogy itself to be complete, like you should have, again, every time we've watched these movies, we watch them with Sydney. Sydney's eyes are our eyes throughout this movie, throughout these movies. So it's weird that when we have to shift narrative and shift focus like this, I think that's probably what's so hard to kind of like wrap our heads around as viewers is that instead of Sydney being our person, we have to kind of decide that Dewey and Gail are going to be our, uh, our avatars for this movie. So where we normally would be reacting to things and not doing so much detective work, this movie is a really, really, really heavy dose of whodunit, like a heavy dose. More so yeah, than we've I mean, ever gotten I'll do it. This one's just not very clever in how it does it. Well, no, I mean, I just don't, I don't, know. I don't I mean, think we've I, I ever, don't mind them. for me, I don't think we've ever done this level of Scooby-Doo before. Not this level of like who, no, there's a, there's an extra element of this. It feels like too, with the pictures and this time it's like a lot, a lot, there's a lot right? of like little, there's the a thing, lot of little the other work. thing that I would say, right? Like this is like a prime example of where the movie just does not connect to me. Right. So they set up that Lance Hendrickson is this predatory you know, I'm famous for my party. Yeah, by the way, that house you know? definitely has a kid dungeon in there. Like, definitely has a Kevin. Well, yeah, I mean, essentially, we find out at the end. Yeah, right. Like, where we have our showdown, he essentially, him and these other guys raped Sydney's mom uh, when she was hiding as an actress. Right. And that presumably is when she had her son that she then abandoned. I think what happens is, is this... Sydney grappling with the the ghost of her mother, right? 
there was such a missed opportunity where we see Sydney's kind of angry at her mom at the start, right? She talks to dad like, why'd she have to have so many secrets? Blah, blah, blah. Right. The movie then unveils for us that Sydney's mom was a trauma survivor. Like she was assaulted and, you know, raped by these men and left for nothing. Right. And so Sydney coming face to face with the truth of her mother, right? Her shattered dreams, her trauma, and using that to come together. And instead of seeing her mom as a bloody fingered ghost, seeing her as one of those women that call into the hotline and can come to grasp with this and wrestle with this complicated legacy of her and her mother. Right. Right. That feels like a really awesome, epic way to end this trilogy. Totally. Instead, the movie seems to constantly just say, well, you know, she was at this party and then she just wanted too many dicks <laughs> and that's what did it all. It's like, it's like the most ham-fisted, stupid, and kind of rude way to take the Maureen Prescott. Like, they set it up to where her backstory is the truth, the foundation that is off that we'll fix, and then don't fucking land it in a way... Her and Sydney not being able to kind of have that moment. Mm -hmm. well, I mean, I guess I'll argue in a moment they do get their moment. But it just it felt way off to me. You know, it just felt way off that they did the work. It was there for her and Sydney to have that come together concept. Mm -hmm. And they just they missed it. They fucking missed it. I guess. I mean, to me, I'm not really sure. Oh, God, man, I don't know. Like, it's such a hard... <laughs> Again, I, I like Sydney's mad at her mom talking shit about her mom to her dad. Right? right. When we find out what happened to her and she works at a crisis hotline. I I mean, I can't imagine that no one in the studio pipeline or the process. How many people have to read these and do notes said, hey, maybe we should have a moment where this, you know, main character, Sid, realizes that her mom was also traumatized. And not just be mad at her for throwing it around like Sharon Stone. Maybe understand that, you know, she's complicated too. Sure. I mean, I think there's a world in which that exists. There's a world in which, like, that is addressed properly. I think that instead what we get is it, – it's interesting. These screen movies, to me, they focus so much on the macro of, like – who of the who done it of the slasher thriller of the meta narrative at all these smaller moments sort of um get lost in the because i would say like instead yeah. of having this big moment this revelation that oh people are complicated like life is complicated i'm sure she didn't mean to become like sharon stone but at the same time i right you know <laughs> <laughs> like to me, that moment isn't necessarily addressed. What you get is very small. Like when she's holding Roman's hand as he's dying, like that to me, like when she squeezes his hand, that kind of thing. Like that is, I was trying to figure out kind of like when I was watching the movie, what exactly am I supposed to glean from that moment? Is she accepting of the fact that this guy just tried to murder her simply because she had a better life than him? Or is this her rectifying the fact that her mother was a very different person than she really thought she was. And people are complicated. You don't know everything about it because this movie is about secrets. That's really kind of what scream three right. is really about is the secrets and lies. We actually tell ourselves or don't tell ourselves uh, to maintain this facade of who these people really are. I mean, that scene between her dad and her is so great yes. because 
her dad doesn't really give up the ghost of being like, yeah, I thought your mom was a whore and I hated dealing with her. Like that is not his reception at all. He was just like, I don't know. Like he, she just was what she like accepting people for who they are. He accepted. Yeah. He, he loved her. He truly loved. And that, that's the most, again, I don't need this like ending of ghost with Swayze where it's like flying light (laughs) balls and they're like doing pottery together and shit. I just need a moment where, Sid, our strong female lead, has that moment of acknowledgement because what it is, and it's really actually pretty brilliant confluence, right? Which is toxic male director feels slighted and he's going to take, you know, this life away from those two. Right. You know, not realizing at all what his mother went through, not appreciating it at all that she had to rebuild her whole life, you know, and then. So you take that kind of like basic entitlement of his character, but then you layer that on the director who has done the exact same thing to Sid. As she's trying to just be a person in the world, they keep writing her into these fucking fantasies that all these killers have. Right. So I just felt like it was all right there, and I don't see how it didn't have a slight moment to click. I feel like what they they think they wrapped that up at the end the the ending the final scene of this movie is so fucking strange right yeah <laughs> which is she's at the house and Gail and Dewey are there and Dewey proposes and I love I love his line too he's like we know it won't work but we don't know everything that's really cool like I love I, that I like for that those two characters those it's two. great then it gets strange when they cut into the house. McSteamy is there, I McDreamy. I don't know which one he is. Patrick Dempsey's just there. I, it's never Patrick explained. Dempsey is there. It's never explained how he's just he just gets to on. hang now. He you know yeah because the scene earlier when he, we were doing our red herring for him with Sid, where they were trying definitely to make us think he was the murderer. I guess that was titillating enough to get the invite to the ranch. <laughs> I don't know. When it's like, what's your favorite scary movie? My life. And Sydney's just like, oh, Jesus. Oh, the vapors. Oh, God. My life also. All right. So this is the scene of madness, which is they say, hey, come on, Sid. We're going to watch a movie in the middle of the day in this scenic summertime outdoor location. And she says, what kind? Dempsey says, you'll have to see. They disappear. She looks back at the door that she closed. A breeze blows it open. She acknowledges that the breeze blows it open and then walks in her house without closing the fucking door. Really? Close the door. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, who just. Yes. I, I mean, it's like ir- irrational, like older person who, you know, you're just like, close the fucking There's door. There's not even a screen. Uh, you're just going to get I bugs think in that house. moment. I think that moment is supposed to be her letting in this kind of version of her her mom and like the whole experience right letting in a good energy okay i mean i could buy that, that feels like the the subtle ghost moment to me i could buy that i mean i think that's probably yeah i mean that's a great way to otherwise why the fuck did she not close the door right. i mean right? i think if that's it's not a, great a subtle way to look ghost at. moment i mean you could i don't understand <laughs> i mean on surface you could just say she's not closing the door because earlier on we saw her do it like five different locks on the door Ah, uh, because she's not scared she's not well i mean yeah scared. maybe that's part Confident. of this i mean this i think thing. on the top layer that's what it is but what you're saying makes a lot of sense too i think it's about acceptance you're accepting that 
maybe there is no more danger. You're accepting that even if there is, you can handle it because you're surrounded by people you love. Like that's the other big difference about the house now is like, instead of the house being literally this fortress to keep her in, now she's inviting others. She wants other people there. Like what she realizes is that walls cannot protect her. It's people people have protected her the entire time. And I think that's yeah. really the resolution Sydney Prescott finds at the end of Scream 3 is that it's people, not walls, that protect her from whatever's coming for her. That's true. What she's going to find is a house full of fucking flies, though, if she doesn't close well, the door. Well, that's it. I mean, she's going to uh, get bit by mosquitoes, spiders. That's, dis- that's disgusting. And then she's going to let Patrick that's Dempsey disgusting. stay, which is just weird. Oh yeah, Padimps is already in there. He's like, well, now I can't have bananas because there's maggots in it and stuff yeah. like gross. Also, he's got his arm. This whole thing's falling Why apart. Why are you giving the guy with the arm in the sling the popcorn? He is the first person who's going to drop that shit. By the way, huge. Like, come on. I do you make anything of the? Let's watch a movie. What kind of movie? You'll have to see. Yeah, I, I don't know. This felt. I like do, a, and you know what I think it is. Like, I'm pretty sure it's a. Por- I'm pretty sure that- it's a porno, and they turns into a four way. We don't get to watch. <laughs> It, it feels very pornography with a, hey, I made up with the ghost of my mom. <laughs> it's a weird, weird series of moments, right? Like, so weird. Yeah. And because we start with Dewey and Gale, you're like, who the fuck is the POV for this? But then you're like, did they all get murdered in that? Did oh, uh, Director shit. Boy pull it off and they're all dead? And this is the, this the is like, hellish afterlife. That's the purgatory where like the purgatory is, you want to watch a movie? This is the House of Flies, right? Welcome to Beelzebub's House of Flies and Lifetime movies. <laughs> okay, can we you know, go down this rabbit hole for a second? I fucking love that beat. If Roman actually pulled this off, murdered everyone, and that ending scene is actually Sydney, Dewey, Pademps, and Gail Weathers stuck in purgatory together, and the whole thing is, what kind yeah. of movie you want to watch? I don't that's know. Why, <laughs> that's why Dewey and Gail have to get married, because that's their true hell. You know what I mean? <laughs> Patrick Dempsey's not Hollywood. Is I am not gonna lie. He's not I doing his like. Desperately talk. want to see that sitcom where the four of them live in the house together trying to debate movies. That's just in hell. Oh my god! Satan plays like the quirky landlord that comes over every now and again. <laughs> Hot enough in here for you? <laughs> Hit the laugh track. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm with that. I'm with that. I like that a lot. Yeah, way into this. I mean, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, ultimately, I think it's such a weird. Weird cap. It is weird. I think capper. Scream Three, warts and all, is still a fine ending to a trilogy. It's not as strong as the other two, but what it does with what it does with non with it, what it takes away is a lot of the horror elements. Like you're taken out of the narrative a lot because, and it very well might be because two came before it, so you're very aware. Like your hyper awareness of the narrative might be there. But I think it also draws a lot more attention to the meta narrative within itself because it's in Hollywood. So ultimately, yeah. while it's not as strong as the other two, it still has a very decent capper ending. It gives you a great resolution for mm. Sydney's story in general. Her arc is complete until, you know, reboot. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's what I mean. They They pick Hollywood, which is a great place to cap this off, right? Yeah. This false hollow place for Sydney to really dig in on this relationship with her mom. I love the working at the crisis hotline. It just makes that character so much stronger and better. 
And I feel like it was there, right? This kind of old, creepy producer totally. and director that are taking advantage of them and writing them as these versions of themselves, and then they're fighting for their real stuff. I feel like it was all there. There was enough there that this movie could have been stronger, despite the fact that the new characters don't really bring a lot. Right. Right? And it just, you know, and it was probably, like you said, like a lot of interference and, you know, bickering this and that. I mean, at this point, this is a grab-the-bag money. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, movie. Well, it's so it's like, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's 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 the one scream movie, though, that it just it doesn't utilize its setting. It doesn't feel like it has much to say about horror movies or the genre anymore. But it does still have that really good Sid stuff. Right. And so, you know, I, I feel like it's there. So if you're willing to accept, like you said, some of the warts and the. The Scooby-Doo shenanigans. I feel like you can glean things that then looking at Scream as an overall franchise add a lot yeah. to the other movies still. Agreed. So yeah, I'm not I wouldn't say it's a failure. No. It was a it was a series of missed opportunities. It's not a failure. It's a series of missed opportunities hampered by its hampered by its the by the times, man. That's it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it, I really, truly believe this movie is a very different movie should there have not been. Like, the two things that changed this movie into what it became are Kevin Williamson's absence because he was in the middle of making Teaching Mrs. Tangle and, like, three other things. And then the other thing is Columbine changed. Columbine and the world around this movie changed everything. It changed our lives, but it also changed the way we make movies, especially for the time being, so... It's so funny. I think a part of me had internalized that Scream was somewhat in response to Columbine because the first one feels tied to that moment to me, which is weird. This series feels tied because that was the time. I mean, again, all of us that were in school at that time, it it was this kind of like new reality for Mm -hmm. us. And I guess I always assumed that Scream 1 came after Columbine. Yeah. No, it's. Hey, man. Like I said, no movies are perfect. If you can get some really great stuff, take that stuff, especially in franchise. You got other movies that you might like a little more. You can rewatch. Take this and build. Build on your relationship with those characters through this. Um, Guys, that's it for Scream 3. As it is October, uh, we are dropping a horror movie every single day this month. Uh, our big one this this month, every single Halloween movie, which be a lot. But we're doing Scream right now, so tomorrow we'll be back with Scream 4. As always, take a second leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. Follow the YouTube, Nerd Alchemist, plural with an S at the end. Follow us on your socials. Share the show with your friends, please. Uh, email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. All right. I hope you guys are enjoying our jaunts into the horror genre. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with Scream 4. For the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino.